This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. Callum McSwiggan on Fubar Radio. This is LGBT Plus History Month. Because I gotta have Hello and welcome back to the Callum McSwiggan Show. This is the second episode of our LGBT Plus History Month specials. Um, we've got a lot of exciting things happening on this show today. We've got loads of exciting guests coming on. A little later on, we're having Luca Mitchell from Student Pride, LGBT of NUS officer Eden Ladley, children's author Ollie Pike, and an interview from LGBT Plus author Lev Rosen. But right now, in the studio opposite me, I have the absolutely beautiful, the stunning, the hero amongst men. It is Philip Baldwin. Well, that's very kind of you to say. And it, it, it's <laughs> lovely to be on your show. And what a welcome. It, well, I mean, it's amazing to have you here. Um, and I'm just like blown away by all of the amazing things that you do. I mean, I think a lot of people throw around the word like activist a lot. Um, but I just think you are doing so much for the community and have done so much for the community. So it's, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Um, and because this episode is all about students and, you know, student pride and like um, what life is like for LGBT plus students growing up, I would actually like to dive straight in and start talking about your experience in school, because I know that this is something that you've talked about quite openly and you've talked a lot about LGBT plus bu- bullying. Um, so do you want to give me a little bit of uh, background there for our listeners? Um, so I went to boarding school in Scotland um, to a school called Fetus from 1996 until 2003. And when I was there, I was bullied for being gay. Mm-hmm. So my teenage years were actually very difficult for me. It was only once I went to university that I was really able to be fully open about my sexuality, Mm. that I regained my confidence, and I would say that I started flourishing as an individual. Yeah, do you you think that's the the same for a lot of people? Do you think university is kind of that key turning point? Do you think things have changed, you know, over the past years? You know, uh, LGBT plus representation has come along such a long way. We're seeing um, more queer characters in the mainstream. People are, you know, people from a young age are starting to see that it is okay to be LGBT plus. I mean, I think attitudes are definitely changing. I mean, if you look at um, Stonewall's school report from 2007, that showed that 65% of uh, young LGBT people were experiencing bullying. Mm. Whereas if you compare that to the 2017 report, um, that figure's fallen to 45%. So that's still almost half, but we are seeing an improvement in terms of um, the bullying that young people face. So I would say, um, obviously, going to university is a massive turning point in someone's life. However, I think the situation in schools has improved significantly um, since since my time at school. Well, I mean, you say it's it's improved sig- significantly, and it absolutely has. Sixty-five to forty-five percent, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, that sounds like something we should be celebrating. But then, at the at the same time, that's still forty-five percent, almost half of you know LGBT plus people in schools are experiencing bullying. Um, I know that it was something I definitely, absolutely experienced. Um, I wasn't actually out when I was in school, but there was um, just one out gay kid in my whole school. He was in the year above, and he got brutally 
beaten up. I think he had his nose broken once. He was like constantly being like bruised and bloody from really violent bullying, you know. Um, so, you know, the fact that 45% even, even in 2017 or now is still an awful lot of people. I mean, when I was at school, I only had the courage to come out to one of my friends, mm. and that was my friend Fiona when I was 16. Um, telling a trusted friend first made things easier. Yeah. She respected my confidence, and that allowed me to go on my own journey of self-acceptance, and it allowed me to come to terms with my sexuality at my own pace. Mm. And, do, and do you think the type of school that you went to played any difference in that? Um, it's interesting because I visit lots of schools yeah. with Stonewall now as a role model and it really varies from school to school and region to region, um, the level of acceptance. I think um, there are problems in, in all types of schools. Um, so I, I don't think it's... I think. Um, perhaps in faith schools there are more issues although something that is very positive is that I'm increasingly asked to go and speak at faith schools about my experiences of being gay and Christian mm. so I think even within, um, within the area of faith schools we are seeing progress I think something very important um, which the government outlined in their July um, action plan last year is making same is, is, is making sex and relationships education um, compulsory um, in all schools and ensuring that it's LGBT inclusive and it needs to be ensured that there isn't an opt-out for faith schools within that. I think that's really, really important. I mean, trying to... Re people reconciling their faith with their sexuality, I know, is something that can be really, really difficult. And I know that kind of historically, the we, when we talk about LGBT+, plus um, homophobic bullying, rather, or transphobic bullying in schools, I feel like we often talk about students, bullying stu students, but actually I think sometimes there can even be teachers and things who have been guilty of that in the past. So do you think that's changing now that the government is saying, look, even if you're a faith school, it's really important that you're openly talking about these things and you know, accepting students for who they are? So um, the big issue in terms of the teachers at my school was that there was a pattern of teachers ignoring homophobic language in the classroom. Yeah. Um, I recall numerous incidences where I felt um, really humiliated because I was being taunted by my classmates and my teachers did nothing to intervene mm. and that was hugely empowering for the bullies. Yes. So um, I think it's not just a, a case of tackling um, homophobia from teachers. I think that's um, probably increasingly rare now um, but it's ensuring that they create an environment where everyone can learn yeah. and when no one um, regardless of their sexuality their race or their gender um, feels um, isolated I remember my PE teacher in particular um, was kind of very guilty of that kind of not he wasn't joining in with the bullying obviously but he was he did very much kind of turn a blind eye there would be some very blatant homophobic bullying it wasn't you know always directed at out gay kids or, or gay kids in general but it was that usual kind of homophobic language being used as an insult and he would frequently frequently turn a blind eye to that and I think you know that 
if you if you're turning a blind eye to it, you're 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 complicit. You're a part of the problem. So so it's great to hear that things are moving along, um, and you and you genuinely think that they are changing and things are because you know I forget sometimes. I'm like, oh, I was in school like what two years ago, and it's like no, Callum, it was like twelve years ago. Like you've been out of school a long time now. Like things have actually changed. Yeah, I mean, I, I find the same thing. Time does really um, fly by. I mean, obviously, I was at school around the turn the turn of the millennium. Yeah. Um, but I, I think um, we are seeing real change. Something you referred to earlier was representation of LGBT people yeah. um, on TV. So when I was at school, um, you would see uh, Ian McKellen, for example, um, on, on TV. And he came out as gay in 1988 in response to Section 28 of the Local Government Act. I also, I also used to really enjoy watching the Graham Norton show. However, there was very little LGBT representation within British soaps mm. or TV dramas. So I think that's an area where we've seen real improvement and where there are more... Uh, more role models. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, speaking of LGBT representation, we often talk about things like TV and literature and things. But actually, I think sometimes it's just having people there in your life who are visible. So I think, you know, the work that you are doing as a role model going into schools, I think that in itself is as important, if not more important representation. When I was in school, I don't think, you know, there was ever like an openly gay or trans or bi person who came into the schools to talk about it. It just wasn't mentioned. I think genuinely the first gay person I met was at 16 and that was another gay kid. I don't think I had, well, perhaps unknowingly, but I don't think I ever met any LGBT plus people before that. And I think just, just someone like yourself coming into a school when I, when I was there, I think it would have done so much to make me feel, oh no, I am okay. This is fine. I am normal. It's lovely for you to see all these nice things about me. But, you know, <laughs> you're really iconic, in, and I, I know that you have changed the lives of a lot of people um, through the work that you do. That's um, very kind of you. Thank you. I, I would say um, another area where visibility is very important is within politics. Yes. Um, so the first uh, Labour MP to come out as gay was Chris Smith in 1984. And, but we didn't have an openly gay Conservative MP um, until 2002 when Alan Duncan um, came out in an interview with The Times. So it's sort of easy to say that perhaps with Labour's 1997 landslide election victory, there was this big shift in social values and that it, and that it ushered in decades of progressive change. However, for me at school, I was still experiencing a lot of homophobic language from the other students. Mm. Um, in terms of politics now, we have uh, around 45 openly LGBT MPs. I didn't know that. Well, it, it makes our parliament one of the gayest parliaments in the world. Oh, look at us go. Uh -huh. That's something to celebrate. Uh -huh. uh, I feel like we've only just skimmed the surface here, and I really <laughs> wish that we could like delve into so much. I feel like we could sit here and chat for hours. Uh, but because we have so many amazing guests coming on, um, we are going to wrap up, have to wrap up quite shortly. But I do want to know who your LGBT icon would be. Um, so my LGBT icon is the activist Harvey Milk. He was a politician and campaigner in the US. Uh, he was elected to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors in 
1977. And then 11 months later, he was assassinated in 1978. Harvey Milk was, at the time, the most high-profile, openly gay elected politician in the USA. He was someone who was prepared to stand up for what he believes in, mm. and he fought passionately for LGBT rights. And I think it's because of pioneers like Harvey Milk that LGBT people in the UK can live the lives that they do today. Absolutely. And you may, you may not believe me, but that's actually also the same person for me. Harvey Milk is an absolute hero to me. And, you know, just things that a lot I think a lot of people don't know about, like him, like commissioning Gilbert Baker to create the rainbow flag, for instance. And it was actually his tragic death that kind of caused the spread of the rainbow flag across the US and around the world. You know, we, we owe so much to Harvey and his activism and everything he did. So that's a wonderful choice. Um, and I, I can't thank you enough for, for bringing him up. Um, Philip, you've been an amazing guest. I, I wish we could chat for longer. Well, We've, I mean, it's it's been amazing chatting to you as well. It's been it's a good jam-packed show coming up. <laughs> um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, and I'm gonna play you out with a little bit of erasure. This is a little respect. <laughs> to highlight the impact that painful sex is having on women across the UK and beyond. Hey guys, it's Johanna James with Food Bar Radio and Durex have invited us down today to explore the magical uses of lube. I'm joined by Hannah and Jadira. What else could we use lube for? I use lube for putting in my menstrual cup. Got this little life hack makeup tip. Lube was the best thing to stick glitter on your eye makeup. No way. I'm going to do a disclosure now. Don't do any of these. Toothpaste. No. Oh gosh. I don't Toothpaste. think it's... Well, flavoured lube. I don't know if this is on your list, but I, in the summertime, get serious chafing. Maybe I could just use lube instead. Perfectly. That's exactly what it's for. <laughs> for more information, go to foobarradio.com. I'm now joined for a little roundtable discussion. I'm joined by Luca Mitchell from Student Pride. Hi, Luca. Hi, how are you doing? I'm joined by NUS LGBT officer Eden Ladley. Um, hi, it's good to be here. It's great to have you. And the lovely children's author, Ollie Pike. Hello. Hello. <laughs> how are you guys doing? Are you good? Yeah, good, thank you. Uh, good. Yeah, great, thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I want to I wanna kick this discussion off by talking about, because I feel like we ha you all do such amazing work for students, but you're all kind of um, helping different age groups. So I know, Ollie, your books are actually for very young children. I don't know what age is it. Is, is it five-year-olds? It, it's young. I think so, yeah. <laughs> no, you you think so? When I started doing it, I wasn't too sure, but now it's kind of like, yeah, it's definitely primary age. But I've got different books and different videos for the different kind of age groups yeah. and even, you know, picture books which have same sex couples in that can be used for like, you know, two, three, four year olds. And I, I know your videos as well, kind of, I would say that they go up to like aimed at like up to 16 year olds. Some of the uh, yeah, things you I talk about. Yeah, I would say maybe like end of primary school. But then I've started doing some like Ollie vlogs <laughs> to try and be cool, like yeah. you, Callum. And um, <laughs> yeah, I guess they're more aimed for like teenagers, but they're quite still family friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then you guys, I mean, you, you both cater for students as in university yeah. age students. Um, or is that NUS, not true? Uh, no, NUS um, supports students at university and in colleges and to mm. apprentices. Oh, I didn't um, know so that. And so our age group is about 16 upwards. Yeah. 
so, so I, um, yeah, go Well, sorry. I mean, National Student Pride, effectively, you can, you don't have to be a university student to come to us. You can be, I think, 16 above or even younger if you want to. Um, but I think perhaps, you know, as you, as you get younger, people don't feel as comfortable to sort of venture out and go to these things in the city on their own. Mm. Um, but definitely, uh, predominantly university students, yeah. And, and do you guys ever get almost unfair criticism? Because I think there's a lot of voices who are anti-LGBT plus out there who almost want to stifle us talking to, you know, whether, it, whether it's really young kids, whether it's college-age students, whether it's university-age students. I think there's a lot, there can be almost like a lot of pushback from people. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, thinking about this topic on the way here, I think the barrier probably exists, in my mind anyway, in, in younger years. Uh, I mean, obviously in adult life we face a lot of adversity. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of education, I think school years are, are probably where those things are going to happen the most. But obviously yeah. it's still happening at university, of course, yeah. I'd say especially in relation to trans issues in um, mm-hmm. primary schools and secondary schools, we're starting to see the beginning of the new Section 28 with anti-trans organisations mm. uh, lobbying for organisations such as Mermaids, Dead Intelligence and Gyres to be basically barred from schools because um, they provide support to trans children which is affirming whereas a lot of anti-trans organisations want to tell um, children who say that they're trans actually you're just going to get over it, you're, you're like you're really a boy or you're really a girl mm. or whatever um, and I think that sort of it's, it's very interesting because I think students, especially like radical student activists, are told all the time that uh, we're out to censor people, we're out to like bully people, um, and actually it's some of the most vulnerable people in this country, like young trans children who are being barred from getting support. Mm. And, or, like, of course, we, we saw um, with Graham Lynham where he lobbied for um, mermaids to... Um, like They were given a grant by the National Lottery and he campaigned for that to be pulled, which was unfortunately um, successful. It was successful in the end because I saw a lot of people talking. And it was did it go through the the withdrawal of that funding? Um, it's current. It's still under review. Okay. Um, and obviously, um, large organisations like Mermaids have to plan uh, these sorts of things very very far in advance. And thankfully, due to the um, due to the fundraising of the YouTuber uh, H Guy. Um, who did, did a Donkey Kong yeah, he did marathon a 40, or something? Yeah, he did a 48-hour Donkey Kong marathon. Which is incredible. Over $300,000 for mermaids, wow. which was more than the amount that they were given by uh, the National Lottery in the first place. And you had, like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on it. You had Chelsea Manning. It was, like, Amazing. a massive, incredible cultural moment for trans people. And it, that YouTuber himself, he isn't trans, is he? He's just an ally? Or no, am I? Nope. Um, he mainly makes videos about video games and popular culture. It's amazing to see somebody <laughs> like that step up. I think that's actually quite unusual. I wish it wasn't, yeah. but, I, you know, I think it is. Um, I think it surprised the trans community, especially because it's so rare. Yeah. Um, I think that we're used to a lot of... Trans women are women, trans men are men, and like all sorts of like Twitter solidarity, but not actually any cash. Mm. When actually, when it comes to like running services that safeguard children and um, sort of like protect children, um, it's not platitudes that you want, it's, it's cash and it's support. Yeah. Um, and I think this is one of the first times we've genuinely seen that from a completely unexpected source. I, I think there's been an awful lot of um, fear mongering around trans issues, and we're seeing a lot of people saying, you know, it's, it's, it's damaging to tell people that they can be trans, it's, it's especially young children. Um, Ollie, what do you think about that? Because I know one of your characters, which is Jamie? Jamie. Jamie is trans, and that book is aimed at quite a young audience. Yeah. Isn't it? Um, I mean, I get so much support for the work that I do. I'd say it's mainly like 90% positiveness. But there is that small group of people that literally hate me (laughs) and my work. And um, 
they they do sometimes make it difficult and not just for me but for for all educators who are trying to educate about lgbt plus um issues uh, my good friend, I don't know if you heard Andrew Moffat in the news. He uh, leads a really cool program called No Outsiders uh, at his primary school, and he's been doing it for like four years. He's been made like an MBE uh, for his services to equality, and then kind of all of a sudden last week, he's had like a hundred parents protesting outside the school oh, because wow. he's like brainwashing children apparently. Um, but. I- I, I think that's something that comes up quite often, this idea that we're all trying to indoctrinate mm. children mm. Or, or, you know, or students of any age. I think that's yeah. something that comes up time and time again. I know you were quite heavily criticised on, online for this, and you yeah. got a load of hate from very, I, I don't know what, I want to say right-wing, but I don't even think it's right-wing. I think it was just arseholes. But I think they're just not even taking the time <laughs> to like <laughs> look at what I'm doing. Like I think they think I'm teaching children about gay sex and like really explicit mm. things to do with trans. It's like... All I'm doing is creating little cute cartoons that might be in same-sex relationships and talking about how, you know, gender is kind of not necessarily one thing or the other. It's quite open. Mm. Um, And it's all very, like, simple, innocent stuff. Yeah. But I think people just get this thing in their head that we're, yeah, indoctrinating. I, th- I think when it comes to things like sex education, I know you don't do that, Ollie. Your 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 work is very separate mm-hmm. from things like sex education. Um, but I think there's this idea that we should absolutely never be talking to children, especially young children, about sex education. But one, you know, a, a counter argument to that I always have is I think there are different levels of of, of sex education, and you know, obviously you're not going to sit down with a six year old and talk about very graphic super x-rated topics but i think it's fine to sit down with a six-year-old and you know explain oh this is what a penis is this is what a vagina is it's they literally have those body parts and i, I think, think it's part of safeguarding as well because if they're being yeah. um abused they need to know the names of the parts that do yeah. y- you know what i mean yeah 100%. well particularly in this country there's such a sort of like held back aspect of sex education which is so frustrating but for queer people i think it's one step even two steps or three steps backwards in terms of sex, sex education, it's not on par with, I guess, straight general sex education at all. Yeah, I think there is this over-sexualization of, of queer people, and we've had yeah. that historically, and I think we have that still today. But rumours as well, like you said, there's this scaremongering that goes around. It's ridiculous the things you hear that come out about trans people and gay people and, 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 and lesbian people in, in, in these strange rumours or things that come out on, on discussions on the TV which are just not in line with what we're actually promoting at all or what yourself are promoting, what anyone's promoting. I think nobody's actually taking the time to listen to what people like yourselves are saying and just kind of jumping to conclusions and mm-hmm. getting very angry when there's, when there's no need for that anger. Yeah. But it means we get more views, so it's great. <laughs> 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 yeah. All right, let's have a little bit of music and then we will dive in with some more discussion. This is Rebel Rebel by David Bowie. love a bit of david bowie there um i want to i want i want to dive in and talk about i feel like so much of the time when we talk about lgbt plus life in school and growing up we often talk about like homophobic bullying transphobic bullying and like the role that teachers play but i think there's actually so much more there in the life of a student you know i think things like we we were just having a little chat off air there and things like nightlife um Mm -hmm. is, is is a major part but also i think one massive massive thing is, is parents and the role that they play um, because I think sometimes you know even if you have the most supportive classmates in the world or the most supportive teachers in the world you know you still if you don't have that support from your parents that can be 
a difficult thing. Luca, I know you have some insightful things to say about this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, for me, I think uh, there, there's so many different spheres in your life. And if you can have access to counselling and people that understand what you're going through, whether it's your gender or your sexuality, um, that is so crucial, mm-hmm. so important. But the point of, of what you're trying to do with educational reform uh, and 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 diversity is not to sort of put someone in one space you know you're safe just here it's to expand that mm-hmm. the, the point of being an activist is, is to make yourself redundant you know there's no more areas in which we have to improve but there are so many um i, I mean i'm not speaking for all sports societies or all nightclubs at university but they're very very straight environments mm-hmm. um and and that can be quite challenging for someone and, and even if you're getting the right treatment or you're being told the right things how can you then translate that to a group of people that don't understand? I mean, I'm, I'm quite lucky at my university. I've got a hockey team that actually invited me to do a video all about these topics. And, you know, I nearly cried because I was like, this is oh, so beautiful. Because for me, growing up, sport was just not something I would have been able to access. But, yeah, I think, think parents as well, those different spheres, everyone needs to be on the same page and understanding for it to be, I guess, normalised in mm-hmm. a way. It's interesting that you mentioned sports societies because um, NUS did some research on the experiences of LGBT plus students in sports a while back. Mm. Um, and something that's generated into this year is a project that's funded by Sports England on LGBT leadership in sport. And mm. that, that that's a pilot project at yeah. the University of Gloucestershire and Hartsbury College. And something that's often been pointed out is that Sort of, it's sort of inseparable. You can't really separate sport and nightlife at university because they're such alcohol-fueled spaces. Yeah, it's always linked. you yep. like there'll be lots of people who on the on the way back from a game will be drinking all the way back, and they're often known as being quite hostile atmospheres, yeah. like for, for students who don't drink. And then there's so much lad culture packed into that yeah. as well, which can be really harmful for LGBT students. Yeah. Also, a lot of the the, the night life is run by sports societies yeah. as well. Mm. Yeah. You know. I, I remember interestingly when I was at university I, I, I worked for my student magazine and I wrote a feature where I basically went undercover to all the different societies and wrote about my experience there um, and I remember going to the American football team and actually being terrified mm-hmm. as an openly gay man yep. about the way that I would be treated and accepted by them and I genuinely thought to the point that am I going to be homophobically bullied is, is that going to be my takeaway from this is that what I'm going to have to write about this that I went undercover to this sports team and they, and they bullied me but it, yeah. but it absolutely wasn't the case they were unbelievably welcoming mm. and accepting of me and they didn't care about my sexuality and they, and they brought me in with open arms and I think that that had such an impact on me and that must have such an impact I feel like there's yeah. such a barrier around LGBT plus people getting into sports and yeah. it, it's because of that fear I think a lot of the time of course, yeah. I mean, that's why the hockey thing was so great to see. Um, it's quite refreshing. It's, it's amazing. Well, maybe not. Maybe it's more common, but yeah. What, what about you, Ollie? What was your experience in, in school and with, with things like sports and things? Were you ever, did you ever feel it was a barrier for you? Um, well, I was captain of the trampolining team, so that was quite important for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I, I was quite lucky in the sense that I had such a great childhood and I wasn't really bullied yes I was maybe a bit um, slightly different Mm -hmm. I think it was more my internal struggle um, which was the most challenging thing for me growing up Um, I kind of realised that I was different and I hated that about myself I was also kind of part of like a church community as well so that made it like doubly difficult as well Um, and I think the most kind of homophobic Ness that I experienced growing up came from from myself. That's interesting. Um, but other than that, it, I had quite a nice upbringing. 
Well, well, that's great to hear. Yeah. That, that's a positive <laughs> I mean, thing, Very lucky, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> student pride itself, because I yes. think all three of you are involved in some capacity, which is a wonderful thing. Um, but, Luca, it's, it's your baby, I it suppose. It's my baby, yeah. So, so, so t- tell it. I mean, I know all about student pride. Yeah. I go every bloody year. But, like, for the people that don't know about the amazing work you guys are doing. Yeah. Okay, so we've been running for quite a while, and effectively... Um, our aim is to inspire and educate uh, young queer people um, and there's a few ways in which we do that we do that on a sort of like individual basis so your personal development um, you know how you can access different careers so we have an amazing group of sponsors um, you know people like Clifford Chance which is legal to things like ASOS which is more fashion uh, and we're, yeah we're one of the largest uh, LGBT plus um, careers fairs in the country. It's amazing. But then more collectively, uh, which is, I guess, where the more the passion comes is we have these speakers come in. Uh, so this year we've got people like Ian McKellen and Mamre Bergdorf. Um, really to sort of show us how as a community we can come together as a collective and push more for, you know, a universal, what we were speaking about, more acceptance, um, more diversity, but just being accepted in, 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 in wider society and how to push the boundaries even further. And so year on year we take on topical issues um, in the queer community and how we can educate ourselves more. I think it's an absolutely wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a wonderful space and I just wish it had been there when I was at university all those years ago. When I was at school, honestly, (laughs) I think like little gay me hiding in the corridors. Never, never had a clue, but yeah. I I, I think it's a great way as well for it to not, I I mean, student student pride does have like an after party and stuff, which which is great fun. And like everyone loves a bit of nightlife. Yeah. But I think it's amazing that it's not centred yeah, around that. That's not what Student Pride is. I know is. exactly what you're getting at. It's, it's beautiful because, you know, Pride is, is wonderful and it's a great celebration. But like you say, effectively, we're a conference in a way. It's, it's, a, it's a safe space, a sober environment to talk about things seriously. And, and, and the NUS are involved as well. Ooh, oh. Do you want me to Uh-oh. spill the tea? Oh, no. <laughs> um, we we um, didn't think we were going to get controversial, but apparently we are. That's fine. <laughs> and so I think that sort of... We, we've had especially over the past couple of years, a much more rockier relationship with National Student Pride. Interesting. And I think that's because um, the policy which we act on um, as an LGBT plus campaign um, often is very anti the sort of pride which National Student Pride represents. Sure. Um, a sort of having like the, the biggest student, the biggest gay student career fair in the country is maybe when we call, when we often come from a very anti-capitalist perspective and like an anti like an anti-corporate perspective is often like there's a lot of jarring in that and so one of the biggest challenges for I think was working together this year and I think that uh, my my co-officer Rob and the National Student Pride team have done like a lot of really great work on this yeah um, and to try and like work through some of those differences and as a result of that engagement um uh, National Student Pride is pulling BAE Systems as one of their sponsors, oh, okay. uh, which is a, it's an arms company. We took the view that um, it's not exactly gay liberation to yeah. be bombing people yeah. and to take money from people who are bombing people. Um, and uh, that's been one of our sort of issues with National Student Pride. But I think that what we've done this year is had much more constructive conversations. Because yeah. I think a lot of people who are involved in National Student Pride often come at this much more from an events organising perspective. Yeah. yeah. Um, like, it's, it's, it's an incredibly, like, well-resourced organisation. You've got lots of advertising. Um, it's, it's, it's the largest LGBT student event in the country. Yeah. Um, but I think that it also means that the compared to people who go to 
like more political conferences, it's often more about having like clashes over what it means for like gay liberation today. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think that's like some of the basis of like some of our clashes in the past, yeah. which I'm sure we'll continue to have in some form because we just have like, because we've just got very different people involved. Yeah. But I think we've had a lot more collaboration this year. I think yeah. it's actually 100%. really amazing to to hear that, you know, that there mm. are kind of different ideas and like different priorities that the NUS mm. and Student Pride are pursuing, but that also that you are trying to collaborate and you are trying yeah. to overcome those things. I think there's a lot of this kind of um, like infighting that happens within the LGBT plus community and I appreciate that because people you know people have different ideas people have different yeah. opinions but well, I live for drama so I love <laughs> <laughs> just stir in the pot no but but, I mean, you, but you know I love yeah, it when organisations can come together and yeah. try to overcome those differences yeah. I mean that's our main theme pride not prejudice I like breaking it breaking down the internal differences look at you go <laughs> but you're right, yeah, but yeah. we are we are working very hard together, but I guess it depends what angle you come at. As individuals, we're all part of a team and we all work on one-to-one basis with people. We're all really trying to push for change. And I understand the angle you're coming from, you know, corporate is fundamentally bad in, in many ways, but also that it can push a lot of change in some ways also, yeah. you know. And, and when is Student Pride for anyone who wants to come along? It's the 22nd to the 24th of Which this is month. next weekend? Yes, next weekend. Very excited, I will Exciting. be there. So we've got our Friday night event. Saturday is our main event with the careers fair and the stages, etc. And then 23rd, 24th, sorry, as well. Amazing. journey around London. There is also the NUS Student Conference coming uh, up as well. Yeah, um, and so we'll probably just plug NUS for a little bit for the students <laughs> listening. Um, NUS passed policy in favour of gay rights in 1973, which was like many, many, many years before a lot of organ- other organisations of its size. I think in part because we've always been a very like politically sort of prescient organisation, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and so we passed policy in in 19 in 1973 in favour of gay rights, and uh, since then there's been fight for more resources coming from NUS to um, sort of like m- to more empower LGBT students and. Uh, what's that led? What that has led to in the past few years has been some dedicated campaigns resource, so that it's LGBT, so that what NUS does on LGBT issues is decided just by LGBT students, which is yeah. the sort of autonomy that we often don't find. And I think with a lot of other larger um, NGOs like Stonewall, there's, they've got a lot of different sponsors. Like it's a little bit hard to like sort of spin those plates. Whereas yeah. the good thing about we have like a ring fenced amount of money, um, and we use that to do some amazing things. Um, we uh, worked as part of a coalition to get the HPV vaccine provided for men who have sex with men, which will save thousands of lives. Um, we have massively increased the uh, awareness and visibility of the student uh, pop population, that's queer, trans, and intersex people of colour. Um, something that I've done this year, is, um, which I'm very, very proud of, is um, organise students' unions in responding along trans-feminist lines to the Gender Recognition Act consultation, which... Um, people may have seen was like very very hotly contested especially by anti-trans groups yeah um and so we actually have our conference um i think on the 5th and 6th of march Um, amazing if you want to go you can talk to your students about how to get involved brilliant so just doing so many incredible things (laughs) basically (laughs) um that that is actually all we have time for i cannot thank the three of you enough um for coming in you've all been amazing thank you so much ollie um go definitely go check out his children's books and everything he's doing he is ollie pike all over the internet thank you so much luca um everyone should go along to student pride and thank you so much eden as well everyone should go to the nus conference and get 
get involved. Just do all the things. <laughs> yeah, do everything. <laughs> You've all been amazing. Um, I now have a lovely, lovely interview with Lev A.C. Rosen, who is the author of Jack of Hearts. So uh, let's dive right into that. So today, as it is a Student Pride episode, I am joined with the absolutely wonderful author of Jack of Hearts. It is Lev Rosen. Hi. How are you doing, Lev? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm really good. It's really, really great to have you here. And I want to dive straight in and talk about your new book, All right. Jack of Hearts. Um, because this focuses on... Why, why don't you tell me a little bit about it, actually? You want the whole pitch? Yeah, because I'll, I'll massacre it. I'll ruin it. <laughs> I'm sure you won't. But uh, I do have it down to a science. So, Jack of Hearts and Other Parts is about um, Jack Rothman, 17 years old, lives in New York City, goes to a very liberal private school, and has sex with a lot of different guys. Mm-hmm. Um, out, proud, not worried about anything. But his sex life is uh, fodder for the rumor mill. And so his best friend, Jenna, asks him to sort of take advantage of that and start writing a sex advice column for her blog. And he does, but that gets him a secret admirer whose notes become creepier and creepier until they're essentially trying to force him back into the closet in some way. It's a stalker, essentially. Oh, yeah, no, it's a full-on stalker. Um, and his sex advice column is also throughout the book, and a lot of the questions were sourced from actual teens. Oh, really? Yeah. Now I didn't know that when I yeah, read the yeah. book, and like I've not I've... all of them, but <laughs> uh, a lot of them. And uh, I have friends who are parents, friends who are teachers, and I told them, you know, here's an email; it'll be anonymous. Uh, tell your teenagers if they have any questions, they can email me, um, and I'll see which ones sort of work with the themes of the book. Um, and I got a few, and they were all very, like, very quick, simple questions, so I turned them into larger narrative pieces because yeah. uh, that worked better for the column. But, yeah, some of them were from actual teenagers. Not all. Some worked for the, the for plot reasons. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's really amazing, though. Like, I genuinely... Because when I was reading it, I thought I very much hadn't read anything like this before, you know? Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd read quite a little bit of like LGBT plus YA um, focusing on like gay teenagers and things like that but Mm -hmm. I've never seen it fully delve into their sex lives so I don't want to say graphically because that makes it sound like it's erotic fiction but I don't (laughs) think it is but it's it's it worked very hard to make sure it wasn't so fingers (laughs) crossed but it it almost works as a sex education piece I hope so yeah so the fact that you actually source those questions from actual teenagers who wanted those questions answered I guess would you say it's going to go a long way to actually helping people, the people that read this book? I mean, I really hope so. Certainly, I I feel like Jenna says something early on in the book when she's, like, convincing him to do the column. She says, you know, they don't teach gay stuff in sex ed. And the moment I wrote that, I knew I really wanted to make sure that I was handling this responsibly. And so I talked to some... Uh, I talked to Allison Moon, who's a, a sex educator and uh, a sexpert, they call themselves. Um, and I, she went over the letters after I wrote them. And I really wanted to make sure everything was just perfect for making sure that teenagers could get something out of this that they probably weren't getting, especially yeah. queer teenagers, but also straight ones that they probably weren't getting from any kind of sex ed in their schools. Um, and it's certainly nothing that I got. I mean, for me, I, I, over here, I understand it's been a little different, different, but, uh, back in America, 
my sex ed at a very liberal private high school in New York City uh, was essentially like condoms on bananas and also here's yeah. a terrifying video of pregnancy. So, you know, I, I that's a... It, it, it's so it's sad to me on so many levels, and it's sad not just for the queer kids who like don't even exist in that sex head, but yeah. it's really sad for the straight kids too who aren't taught about pleasure, who aren't taught about consent, and those are the things I really feel like we need to be emphasizing. Like, here's what some here's ways that may bring you pleasure. Like, figure out what you like, and then here's how to ask for it, and here's how to say no if someone wants to do something else. Yeah. That's what sex ed should be about. And, you know, condoms, great, cool. But it seems to be very... I think sex ed is still... And, I mean, it's been a while since I've been in school, even. But, like, I feel like it's still rooted in the very clinical. It's very much about, mm-hmm. like, this is the, like, bottom-line health of the situation. This is how you make a baby. This is an STD. It's biology. Yeah. yeah. But, like... And then, like, I remember, like, looking at diagrams of, like, penises and vulvas. And... It would say what all the parts did, but nowhere did it say this is the part that is great for pleasure. Mm-hmm. For instance, it would be like, yeah. okay, this is where the sperm is made, this is where the sperm comes out, you know, this is where the baby grows. <laughs> yeah, there's so much stuff that it's it's just ridiculous how kids come away with sort of no concept of pleasure. I love Jack. Mm-hmm. He is the kind of person that I would have very much liked to have been dating or, or sleeping with when I was a <laughs> when I was a teenager, or even just you know somebody that I would like to be my best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually something really difficult to do on the page. You know, create something like I felt like I felt myself really falling in love with the character, and that really made me empathise with his story and all these like horrendous things that are happening to him. Um, because I think his his sexuality and even the way he expresses his gender is very much quashed by mm-hmm. all the or tried to be yeah. by all the people around him. You know, you have the principal who's trying to, you know, yeah. he really doesn't want Jack to express himself. His classmates, um, Jeremy, one of the other characters who is mm-hmm. gay himself, he has a lot of issues going on. Yeah, no, I think it's funny. I definitely, as high school lev, would not have liked Jack. I was. Really? Oh yeah, I was Jeremy. I was oh, okay. I was the co-head of the K-Street Alliance, and anything that another gay person did that was too stereotypical reflected poorly on me. Would you say then that Jack is almost where you are now? If if, if Jeremy was who you were when you were in school, is is Jack a personification of of you now? Um, in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm too lazy to do my makeup every day, but, (laughs) like, uh, you know, uh, only for special occasions. If you could go back in time, would you want to be Jack? Uh, I think to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, there was another part of me that was, like, very much Ben, the the hopeless romantic, so I don't know if I... there's little bits of you. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm in all of them. I think every writer's (laughs) in all the characters. But, um... Yeah, no, I think uh, uh, Hopeless Romantic would have sort of taken over. I don't know if I would have slutted it up quite the way Jack does. Um, maybe maybe just out of college. But um, uh, I think that nowadays I definitely have the sort of mentality that Jack has, which is, you know, oh, is a straight person telling me this is incorrect or I should behave better mm. or like I'm too in your face then my reaction is essentially well fuck you yeah, and I is. think that is the and honestly of all the things that are sort of unbelievable about Jack I think that kernel of incredible self-confidence is the thing that I was like 
all right, I'm just going to give it to him. Like he's just yeah. going to, and I, I let him have these, these sort of moments of, of doubt. And like, he has that phrase could be worse, could be worse. Cause he knows he's very privileged. He comes from a loving home, liberal family, liberal city. And that was, that was always, that's how I grew up. And that is always been my mentality too. Could be worse, could be worse. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, his confidence might be a, a little adult, but maybe not. You know, teenagers today are awesome. But he makes he makes mistakes as well. That's the oh, thing I, yeah. I like about Jack because he, <laughs> he, you know, especially in his column, he's so knowledgeable about everything, sex, and you know what to do. But then there are this. I don't know. This may be verging into spoiler territory. So if you don't want any anything spoiled, he maybe sort of sirens. Yeah, yeah. We'll put a, a siren just here. Um, there's, there's two moments in particular. The first one is when he's talking about his first time, which kind of verged on the borderline of consent issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second one, when he takes the nudes to send, send to the stalker who's blackmailing him. Yeah. And I think those two moments are so unbelievably powerful. You really, really feel for him in both of those moments because he is this confident, little, knowledgeable spark of a boy. And then he suddenly not fails but he he falls victim to these Mm -hmm. things that i think can happen to so many people i think that sends a really powerful message as well thank you um yeah no jack definitely it's interesting you're like i've been talking about this book all week and you're the first person to talk about his first time experience Mm. and there was a lot going on there with that that i really wanted to express that a first time is seldom perfect yeah and to be clear this is first time with anal sex, I would never, you know, I, I'm, in terms of like virginity definitions, I don't think anal is the end all be all. I mm-hmm. think really you get off with someone and you both orgasm. Congratulations, you're not a virgin. But um, I think his first time with anal, it is a situation where he's with a guy and he's open to the idea of having anal sex, but the guy is essentially a schmuck. Um, or, uh, it's a very <laughs> Jewish term. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I just remembered Yiddish ain't so common on this side of the pond. Um, he's an asshole. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Jack says, all right, he's an asshole, but I'm still making a choice to have sex with him. Yeah. Um, because I would like to do this at some point or even more so it's not even, I would like to do this. I'm going to have to do this, which I think is one of those things that, um, a lot of young gay teens feel about anal sex. I said felt it. Yeah, oh, well, this is going to have to happen yeah. eventually, that sort of thing. And it doesn't, for starters, like, you know, anal is not the end-all be-all. Um, but also just this this idea that, you know, oh, got to get it over with so that I can, like, actually live my sexual life. And I really wanted to express that feeling and also show that the first time isn't necessarily perfect, even for someone who like really loves sex. So that's something that even if your first time isn't perfect, you can still have a better second time, you know? Yeah. And so that, that moment was really, it was, I had to be so careful. And like, I had a thousand people read that. And like, we had a lot of conversations. Is this rape? And my take is always, it is not rape because Jack, 
100% consents, it's just not good sex. Yes, yeah, 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 <laughs> absolutely. I think you handled it very, very thank well. Thank you, that's um, good to hear. <laughs> and I think it was actually probably my favourite part of the book. Wow, as okay, well. thank you. Lev, I wish we could chat about this all day. I oh, have yeah, a I million questions <laughs> um, to ask you, but that's about all we have time for. If people want to get Jack of Hearts and other parts, where can they get that? All good bookstores, Amazon, Audible? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Waterstones, Amazon, yeah. Uh, any gaze the word. Um, I'm also reading the book for my LGBT plus book club this month. So if you want to join in, send me your thoughts. Do hop on over to Instagram and do that. Lev, thank you so much. For thank you. This is fun coming on the show. And yeah, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> That was the absolutely incredible Lev A.C. Rosen there. What an absolute superstar. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of the amazing guests we have had on the show today. We started out with the incredible Philip Baldwin, who had so many insightful things to say. And then we had our lovely roundtable with Luca Mitchell from Student Pride, NUS LGBT officer Eden Ladley, and the absolutely adorable, beautiful, intelligently smart children's author Ollie Pike. Thank you so much to all of our wonderful guests. I'm going to round out the show with a little bit of Tutti Frutti. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.